We are in 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3 as we continue through the Old Testament. If you remember uh, with me in our last lesson, uh, one, of the, you know, one of those testimonies in the Word of God that leaves you going, what just happened there? Um, Elisha has taken over the mantle and is now the prophet that is uh, ahead of the true prophets. And he's going up the road to Bethel and some young teenagers come out and mock him and call him Ballhead. And so he turns around and pronounces a curse on him. And um, these two female bears come out of the woods and kills 42 of them. And you're like, what? What just happened? And, you know, again, we're reminded that you can't mock God. You, you don't make fun of the word of God and the prophet of God. And that, that, that there is a curse when you reject the word of God. And that's where the, 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 the word of God came from in the Old Testament. When you look at the book of Hebrews 1.1, it says, In past times, in divers' manners, God spoke to the prophets. But in these last days, he speaks to his son, Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, the prophet would always bring the word of God. He would bring the, the, the word that God was speaking to the people. And so that's where they got the word. And so these young men were, were really mocking the fact that Elijah had went up in a whirlwind. Okay? That's why he, they're saying, go up, go up, bald head. They're telling him to go up also, just like Elijah did. Because that's what the church is supposed to be preaching to people, that there's salvation in no other name but Jesus. And one day he's going to take the church home. We're all going to go up. We're going to be snatched out of here. Just like Enoch and just like Elijah, they were snatched out of here. And people mock that. People, people go, oh, yeah, they've been preaching that forever. And they mock you for it. And there's a curse on those who mock it because the curse is already there. It's death. We're born dead. We're born dead. And now under grace, we get to hear the voice of God and be raised to life. It's resurrection. In fact, let's just look at that. It's John chapter 5. John chapter 5 explains this perfectly. Uh, I thought about going to it before to, uh, in the memory verse, but I thought, let's just save it for the lesson. It's 524 of John. He speaks about salvation and resurrection, and then he speaks about even the dead rising uh, that tells us that there's going to be a judgment of every person ever born. In 524, again in red, Jesus speaking, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears, notice it's hearing, not just with your ears, but with your heart. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He who hears my word and believes, that's trust in his word, in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from what? Death into life. See, we're born dead. And when you hear the word of God and believe, then you come to life. You wake up spiritually. It's talking about spiritual. 
You're born dead spiritually with a sin nature that separates you from God. We don't even know it. And then we hear the voice of God. Look, 25, most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead, spiritually dead, will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Listen, when you come to life, when you come to salvation, you hear the voice of God. You hear him say, there's life in no other but in my son Jesus. You're a sinner. The Holy Spirit comes alongside and convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. We're already underneath the curse of death. Jesus didn't come to condemn us, but to save us. We were already condemned. We were already under judgment. But when we believe in Jesus, we come to life spiritually. And now we have eyes to see things differently and we regard no man as flesh and blood anymore. And we understand that there is a death culture going on. Listen, the devil wants you to stay dead. The government of the devil wants you to keep living in a way that is dead. They want to kill everything that's about God. Everything that God would give you in freedom, the devil wants to kill. He doesn't want you to ever worship God in true life. He wants you to keep living a life of debt. Look at the culture that we have right now. Some people are calling it cancel culture. Listen, there's no such thing as cancel culture. There's death culture. It's called death culture. Look around. Death of gender. We have a death of God's word is what we have. God gives life and the devil wants us to live dead. He doesn't want us to come out and understand life. There's a death of gender. There's a, there's a death of, of even children, abortion. There's a death we're doing, uh, 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 euthanasia, we're killing the elderly. There's a death going on, a death culture that wants to get rid of anything that doesn't fit their plan. Think about it. We go, oh, it's the Green New Deal. No, it's a death culture. It's a death of anything that makes sense. It's a death of oil. It's a death of natural gas. It's the death of everything. That's called death. They're killing what we do. They're killing what we do. Death of gender. Death of, I mean, just look around and see the death. It's not cancel. It's called death culture. They don't want us to, to believe God. They want us to say no to God. I had a note somewhere of all the things that they're trying to kill. Look around when you see all the things they're trying to kill. It's not canceling them, it's killing them. Because they're saying no to God. Speech. Death culture. You're not allowed to speak. On the internet, you're canceled, is what they call it. But it's really death of your opinion. You have no opinion. You have to follow what they say. Or you will end up dead. And that's not by mistake. That's because we have the rise of the Roman Empire. We have the rise of the, the government of the devil completely without anybody stopping it. Because God has allowed that to happen once again. He told us it would happen. But we have to wake up to it. We have to understand what's going on. Death culture. Nothing grows in death except for more death. So, um, as we enter into 
chapter 3 of 2 Kings, we see parallels. Obviously, we have the northern kingdoms. The northern kingdoms, when Solomon died, Jeroboam led a rebellion against Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And if you remember what happened was, is that Solomon dies, Rehoboam takes the throne, and men come to Rehoboam and said, you know, your dad had a heavy burden upon us. Lighten the burden and we'll serve you. And so he gets counsel from his, excuse me, he gets counsel from his counselors, the aides, those with wisdom, and they say, well, your dad did have a pretty heavy burden on him. If you lighten it a little bit, they'll serve you forever. He didn't like that counsel because he wanted to be the tough guy. He wanted to be stronger than his dad. He wanted to be more than his dad. So he asked his young men around him, and they said, no, tell him that my dad did this and that, and, and, and my little finger's fatter than his waist, and, and we're going we're gonna to make it worse. So he tightened his hold upon him. And I'm paraphrasing. You can go read it. Um, and so Jeroboam led um, ten and a half of the tribes in a rebellion. And now the northern tribes are called Israel. And the one and a half tribe, about half the tribe of Benjamin stayed with Judah. They're called Judah. So if I say north and south, north is Israel, south is Judah. And um, when they did that, Jeroboam thought, oh my goodness, at three times a year, they know that they're all supposed to go down to Jerusalem and worship God, so I better do something about that. So he set up two golden calves, one in Samaria and one in Bethel, I believe, is the two places, and told them, here is your God that led you out of, uh, out of, out of Egypt, and here's the God you should worship so he began to lead them in worshiping these golden calves. Apostasies, what we have with the northern. They're totally apostate from God, totally separated from God. And of course, God said that this would happen. He was going to punish Solomon for Solomon falling away and, and rejecting God's authority. Think about that for a long time. Why is this man that ever lived that wasn't God? God gave him everything. Every road on the planet led to Solomon's throne room. And he rejected God. See, there's nothing good in our hearts. Without the grace of God, without us surrendering to the, to the power of God and the strength of God and looking at the scripture that God gives us that reveals his heart, we will end up in some type of religion doing stuff on our own. We will ignore God and resist God because our flesh makes us an enemy with God. And there's nothing good that dwells in the flesh. So anyway, God allowed the division on purpose he left one tribe, basically Judah, which is where Jesus comes through, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's leaving the lineage of God pure. The northern tribes are totally apostate. Southern tribe is starting to go apostate. What does apostate mean? It means uh, uh, to fall away from the faith in God, to do your own thing, to, to leave uh, worshiping God. And that's what they're doing. They're building their own kingdom. We have a parallel of that in today's church. Today's church has completely walked away from God. And it has to happen. The Bible, and I don't mean emphatically, there's always a remnant, but the falling away has to happen.
before the son of lawlessness can appear, the Bible teaches. We have to walk away from the faith. We have to do that. And not everybody, but... And then the Antichrist will rise up. And that's what we're seeing, is the government of the Antichrist, who's going to bring in his prophet. He's going to, he's going to bring in his government and, and a ten-nation federation, and they will rule the planet. We'll put it all underneath one person. They're using a pandemic... It's a pandemic to get people afraid to, so that people will follow them. People are lining up to follow whatever they say. People are scared to death right now. Literally. Literally scared to death. They're panicking in the streets. And if you don't wear a mask or you don't do what the government says, you're going to become the enemy. But listen to me. I tell you, I tell you again, because of death culture, if they can't get the gender right, male and female. God created male and female. Two genders. I'm not listening to the rest of their science. When you look me in the face and say that 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 there's more than a male and a female, then you just lost me. And you have to understand that. We want to listen to what God's word says no matter what they say. What God's word says. So we rise in here and we under that understanding of their apostasy we come now to Joram the son of Ahab Ahab and Jezebel remember were the most wickedest of the northern kingdom became king over Israel at Samaria that's where their throne was at in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat king of Judah and reigned 12 years and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar, or image, as King James, of Baal that his father had made. Now, there's a lot going on here just in the first couple lines. And the first thing you need to understand is that, uh, and we, we've, we rehearsed this when we closed out 1 Kings, is that Ahab was killed. Remember, him and Jehoshaphat went out to war against Syria because Jabez Gilead uh, belonged to them and they had not taken it back. And so Ahab got killed while they were in battle. Then in chapter 1 we, of 2 Kings, we see Ahaziah, his son, took the throne. And Ahaziah ended up ruling for two years. And then he dies and Jehoram takes over the other son of Ahab. Well, he said, it says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice that when you do evil, God's always watching. Proverbs 15, 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over the evil. Let me just look at it real quick for you. I think I quoted it wrong. But it's Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on evil and the good. Because a lot of people will tell you, well, God can't look upon evil. Listen, they, God doesn't give favor to evil, but God sees everything. He doesn't miss anything. There's nothing hidden from the sight of God. He just does not favor those that are in evil. If you're living evil and going, God doesn't see it, that's a lie. He sees everything. And he will not bless it. If you continue when you know you're not supposed to do something to do it, then God doesn't bless that part of your life. God will begin to 
convict you and encourage you to change that. So it says he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but that's a contrast. Not like his father and mother, Ahab and Jezebel, for he put away the sacred pillar, the sacred image of Baal that his father had made. Now, if we go back and look, he didn't just make an image. First Kings 16, uh, go back to First Kings 16, 31, because Ahab didn't just make an image, but he made an entire temple to Baal, which is, uh, you know, Lord of death, Lord of the flies. Baal is, is the devil. And with Jezebel, her dad was a Phoenician, and he was the king of, 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 of uh, Phoenicia, but at first he was a priest to Baal. And then, let's just look at 1629. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, which Asa was Jehoshaphat's dad. I know this sometimes can get confusing, but the more we rehearse it and I speak it and say it again and again, it helps you understand and articulate. Uh, and Judah is the southern tribe. Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel, the northern tribe. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now notice the next line. I've got it underlined. More than all who were before him. And see, that's what you've got to understand about evil. Is that we're in perilous times. That men's hearts are getting worse and worse. They're not going to get better without Jesus. Without surrendering to the blood of Jesus, people don't get better. They get worse and worse. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, when you hear that, we're going to see it again in our, in our text today. That was because of the two calves, the golden calves that they were worshiping, and they were ignoring God. And so that's the sin that, that Jeroboam caused everybody in the northern kingdoms to walk in. That he took a wife. See, it wasn't enough that he was, that he was worshiping the golden calves, but he took a wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, it's in Phoenicia, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. So it wasn't bad enough that he's worshipping golden calves, but guess what? When you begin to worship a golden calf, when you begin to walk away from God, you go and worship something else that's false also. You become part of the death culture. If you're not telling people about life, if you're not living for Jesus, you become a part of that death culture. 32, then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal. So he builds this temple for his wife, which he had built in Samaria. That's where he's ruling the northern kingdoms from. And Ahab made a wooden image. This is the image that we're seeing right now that we're talking about that uh, his son Jehoram uh, took down and he put him away. He didn't destroy him. He took him down and put him away. And that image is really an Asherah pole. It's an Asherah pole. It's actually a phallic symbol is what it is. And they worshipped it because Asherah was a god of fertility. Asherah was actually the female deity that was supposed to be the bride of Baal, who is the death uh, or, or, or Lord of the Flies, which is Lord of the Death, the Dunghill. 
Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And then it talks about because of him bringing that, that the other guy rebuilt Jericho. Now let's go back to 2 Kings 3. Again, notice verse 2. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but did not, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the, the image of Baal that his father had made, the Asherah pole. Right? He put it away. But notice that he did not destroy it. He put it away. Later, we're going to see when Jehu comes to the throne, that in chapter 10, and I'm not even going to turn there. You can read it later if you want. In chapter 10, 26, there's a section there that Jehu tricks all the worshipers of Baal. And he says, hey, and I come to the throne and let's celebrate. I'm going to worship Baal more than everybody. So he throws this big conference and he says, everybody that wants to worship Baal, come out of hiding. And they all come out of hiding. And while they're in the temple worshiping Baal, he locks all the doors and burns the place down and kills every one of them. And so uh, he was trying to rid the land of the evil of Baal and the death culture. But notice he didn't get rid of it. He should have destroyed it. He should have gotten rid of it. Not just put it away and hide it. Now, now why does this mean something to us? Because lots of people get saved. They come to Jesus they start living their life and they take their music and their books and their literature, all the movies. I've spent so much money on these movies and I've got a big movie collection and I've got all this secular music and they put it up. They don't destroy it. They put it up. Make, just in case this Jesus thing doesn't work, I might go back to this. Now, I would encourage you, you to get rid of the root, to burn it because the music is worshiping the devil. The movies are worshiping the devil. They're feeding your, your, your flesh to worship the devil. That's my opinion. Some people don't like my opinion, and that's okay with me. But if you continue to feed your flesh the same thing you fed your flesh before you come to Jesus, don't be surprised when your life never changes and all you say is, I'm a Christian. But your heart never changes. Your ways never change. The people you hang out with never changes. And you don't destroy the Asherah poles. You don't destroy the works of the devil in your life. And you keep listening to the same music. And it keeps feeding your heart the same lies. So you come to Jesus and you want to hear from him. So you begin to feed your life with his word. And it begins to wash you and cleanse you. So you don't just put away and put up and say, I'm going to put them on the back shelf. You have to cut away the root or you will not get rid of the fruit. So if you don't get rid of the root of death, you'll still have the fruit of death in your life always. And you let God give you a new heart and plant a new root from the branch of Jesse, from the branch of God. And it begins to grow in your life because you begin to listen to what God has said. So I would encourage you to be careful. Be careful what you're listening to. Be careful what you're reading. Be careful about the counsel. See, many people, right now we're seeing it in a big way in our country. They come to Jesus. They're living for Jesus. And they go, I believe in Jesus. But they're listening to a lying government. 
They're listening to a lying world. They're listening to a lying education system. And they're not listening to God. See, I, you have to count everything suspect because the Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 19, I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of wickedness. Underneath the sway of the wicked one is the new King James. Wickedness is the King James. And so when the, the school system begins to tell our kids that there's evolution instead of creation by God when God spoke, what are they attacking? They're attacking the very word of God. They're attacking the very root of our entire belief system, this word. This is the word that Jesus says you're greatly mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. You cannot live a life for God and not know scriptures. This is the bread of life. This is what we have to sustain our spirit. And if you attack the very root that God created, now you can kill everything else. Now you can have death culture everywhere and you train children in a whole new culture. And now think about this for a moment. Now we're not going to do it on just the schools. We're going to do it on a worldwide governing system that begins with big tech in the computer system where you kill any dissenting opinion, you kill any truth from God, and all you do is send people, everybody's walking around with them, got my little computer, and you send people lies, and you indoctrinate everybody to the same lies, just like they're in school, and everybody reads the same thing. It might not bother you any, but the next generation, they're not going to believe anything about God. The next generation, they're going to believe that every road leads to heaven. The next generation, they're not going to understand truth unless we proclaim it to them. And especially when the church is gone and been removed. So we have to understand that the death culture is not just some politicians it's demons, it's the devil, it's a spiritual war to kill the word of God. And it might begin with, did God create? But then it goes, well, how did he create a man and woman? No, there's all kinds of genders. And, and is man stronger than woman? No, put them all in the same sports. Do you guys know that there was a, a boxing match between a woman? See, because they let women box now between a woman and a man who became a woman, and that woman is either still in the hospital or was in the hospital with brain damage. She's supposed to be okay now because he pummeled her almost to death. See, if two women fight in a boxing match, they're going to be equal. But when you let a man participate and beat up a woman, it's not going to go well because a man was purposely made stronger his muscles are stronger. His whole body is more dense. Everything about him is meant to be that way because he's supposed to be working and taking care of his bride and protecting the women. But when you begin to have a death culture and say that God didn't create and that God didn't create a man and woman and you can be anything you want to be, all you're doing is promoting insanity. But it's actually death. It's the death of a culture. It's the death of people's souls. Because that's what the devil's after. 
If you can get somebody to believe just because of uh, they think that they're a woman, you can get them to believe that they're a woman and then change their entire, you can't change the, who they, God created them. God created them a man, and they're going to be judged as a man. I don't care what kind of surgery, what kind of, uh, of hormones th therapy they do, what kind of stuff you lie to them and tell them, God is going to judge them for sin as a man because he created them a man. And the greatest love we can do is not to allow them to destroy their life, but to tell them the truth. I'm not, a, I'm not homophobic. I'm not being mean. I'm being loving by telling them what God's word says. But the world, the death culture, wants to get rid of God, wants to get rid of sin, and they rename everything. It isn't, it, it, it isn't sin when a child says, mine, and grabs something and throws it and busts a window. It's behavior disorder. And they want to blame it on a culture. They want to blame it on something that happened in that child's life. Look at this one here. Listen, don't blame culture. Don't blame environment. You can see right here in the text that Jehoram did evil in the sight of the Lord because he's a sinner. He has a sin nature. But it says right there with a contrast, but not like his father and his mother. So you can't blame his father and his mother. He did something different. He knew that bell worship was evil, and he put away the image. He didn't stay doing that. Listen, environment can be part of the problem, but we're sinners, and Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the only answer. You cannot be raising children and raising people, raising a nation, and saying it's somebody else's fault. Because then you never confess that you're a sinner and need a savior. But our world, in our psychology and sociology and all these things, we blame it on somebody else. Let's find somebody to blame. Who else did that? Remember in the original death culture, when they killed God's word, who said, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die? And Eve rejected the authority of God and ate from the tree. She was deceived. And then Adam did it willingly so that he could be with his wife. Right? And then it just kept going. It's not enough to just say a prayer. It's not enough to just put away what you used to do. You have to realize that what you used to do is the old person that needs to die and be crucified and buried. And you begin to come to new life with a new heart to listen to God and let him retrain you as a little bitty child in how you're supposed to live. Because you're no longer dead. John 5, 24. If you believe and you trust, you come from death to life. Now you're alive, and now you can understand spiritual things. And now you want to destroy the death culture and tell people that they can have life in that more abundantly as a witness. Verse 3, nevertheless, he cleaved, persisted, your King James might say. It could say anything in any other text, but in the, in the uh, King James, it's the word cleaved. To the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, he did not depart from them. So listen to me, this is very important. That word cleaved 
is the word that we use in the uh, Genesis 2 for marriage. You leave and you cleave to your husband. So he's cleaving to who his authority is, who his head is. He didn't, he, he, he didn't follow Baal, but he cleaved to the golden calves, to the false religion that was handed to him by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So be careful that you don't cleave to grandma's church grandma's religion to Adam and Eve's leaves where they put fig leaves over their sin over their body parts and they tried to cover their sin with works we don't want to do that we want to cleave to the blood of Jesus we want to cleave to a relationship with God we don't want to we don't want to come and say a prayer and listen to a false religious system that tells us all you got to do is say a prayer you'll be fine and then we cleave to the golden calves and the false religion that the devil has created like the northern tribes were doing. So you fill in the blank. What are you cleaving to? Cleaving to your church attendance? What are you cleaving to? You can fill in the blank. Hang on. Be married to God. To the Son of God. He's our groom. And begin to have a personal love relationship with Him. And allow the Holy Spirit to not just lead you in life, but lead you through the Scriptures and understand the heart of God. Verse 4, we're going to just switch gears a little bit, but not really. We're going to see what we're fellowshipping and bonded to, bound with, in yoke with. Now, Mesa, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams but it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel now if you study this out and I won't make you do it but in first king or excuse me in second Samuel 8 2 David conquered Moab and then he put a tax upon them and what they're paying here with these 100,000 lambs and 100,000 rams is a tax. It's a tribute. Moab is the Moabites that was born, and they're an enemy of Israel all through the Old Testament. It was born out of the incestuous relationship of Lot with his daughter when they were in a cave. And so it's born out of sin. David takes them over, puts tribute upon them, and as soon as Ahab, who was a the evilest man, he, he was uh, running the northern tribes. When he died, we see it in one one of 2 Kings. It says, that's how this book starts. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. That's the very first words you see in 2 Kings. And then Ahaziah did nothing for two years. He dies. Joram comes to the throne and he says, I got to do something about this. Moab has been rebelling for two years, and nobody said a word. So he decides now, after two years, and he comes to the throne, that he's going to do something about the rebellion of Moab, who's supposed to be paying tax and tribute to the northern kingdoms. And it's pretty interesting that, and I was reading a, a note in my Bible and in another book, that actually in 1868, they found a plaque 
called the Moabite Stone. You can actually go online and look at the pictures and everything. And it details a lot of this stuff. It even talks about King David and different stuff. And it actually authenticated a whole bunch of this history that's going on right here, which most historians didn't believe happened. And they tried to discount the Word of God. And that's what they've always tried to do. But every day they unearth more things that prove the perfection of the Word of God. It's the best historical book ever because it's the Word of God. So they rebel against the king of Israel. So what happens, Greg? Verse 6. So Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. He called the troops to war. Then he went and sent messengers to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he prayed about it and he asked God. No, that's not in there. I'm teasing. So Jehoshaphat doesn't pray. He says, I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. What? Now you see, you would think that Jehoshaphat would have learned not to do this. But as we closed out, I think it's in chapter 22 of First uh, Kings, it says that, that Jehoshaphat made peace with the northern tribes. Remember the last thing that happened? Ahab got killed in battle against Syria because Syria was uh, owning Jabez Gilead, which really belonged to Israel. So Ahab called Jehoshaphat and said, will you go to war with me? And he said, sure, the same exact statement. It hasn't changed one bit. He said the same thing. I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. And they were told by Micaiah not to go. Micaiah said, I've seen all of Israel with no king. Micaiah told him that Ahab was going to die. Because the word of God is always going to tell you the truth. And Jehoshaphat should have learned his lesson, which is lesson, not to follow apostate Israel. See, we've got this kind of a move in America today where there's an apostate church that's trying to trick people who know the word of God to follow them. For the sake of unity, follow the apostate church. For the sake of unity, do what the rest of the church is doing. But you don't want to do that. When you know the truth, you follow the truth or you end up dead like the apostate church. It's a very important understanding. But for some reason, Jehoshaphat keeps trying to be yoked with Israel. Listen, you do not want to be yoked with unbelievers. We thought he learned his lesson because in 1 Kings 22, it says that he had some ships and the ships didn't go out. And Ahaziah, King Ahab's son, says, hey, can my guys go with you? And he said, no, they can't. And we thought that he learned his lesson not to be yoked with the apostate uh, northern tribes. But really, these northern tribes are apostate. These northern tribes have walked away from God. They're worshiping golden calves. And we see the trending of Judah leaning toward walking away from God. 
And that's really what happens is that they all end up walking away from God. And, and the northern tribes go into uh, captivity first, and then not many uh, uh, years later, Judah goes into captivity. And uh, later, God brings them back into the land. So, he's not only yoked with the apostate northern tribes, but he's letting them lead the way. Look at this. Verse 8. Then he said, which way shall we go up? So he's letting the apostate church lead the way for him. He's letting the apostate northern tribes who are worshiping golden calves and not listening to God tell him which way to go. And he answered by the way of the wilderness of Edom. Now this is very interesting because Moab is under tribute to the northern tribes, but Edom is actually another. It's, it's from Esau. They're under tribute to Judah, the southern tribe. And it's actually on their property. So I know it can sometimes be a little uh, laborious here, but Joram knows that he needs to attack from the southern tribe's vantage point, so he wants them to be on his side. So verse 9, the king of Israel, which is Jehoram, went with the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom, we don't know his name. We don't know his name because there was actually no king uh, as we started the book, but somehow now there's a king, and I don't know. Actually, it says in 22... 47, there was then no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. So that's what they had allowed was a deputy to rule because they were under tribute again, like I said, to Judah. So now there's a king ruling and we don't know who he is. Uh, somebody might, but I don't. So they went with the king of Edom. Now we got three kings, three different peoples, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days and there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. So now listen, you have Jehoshaphat following Jehoram, and he has no water. He's leading him in an area where there's no water. Water is usually a picture of the Holy Spirit. They're being led in the flesh by an apostate king who worships golden calves instead of God. And now you have Jehoshaphat, with his army who are supposedly worshiping God following in a place he shouldn't probably be. Verse 10. So be careful who you let be your authority, who you let be your head. If they're not being led by the Spirit of God, you need to be very, very careful. And the king of Israel, Joram, said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now notice, Joram, he got no water, he's got no faith. He's worshiping golden calves, he's apostate. So he's got no wisdom, and listen, he's dead wrong. He led him to be there. He's the one that's controlling this. Now God's sovereign and is allowing him to be there, but God never told him to go do this in the first place. So he can't blame it on God now that he's out there. And that's the way much of us, we live our lives this way. We go do something in the flesh and then the devil tricks us into blaming God and saying God's trying to kill us. 
But we never asked God in the first place. We never consulted God and prayed about it and weren't even trying to do the will of God. But it's always God's fault. And that's a trick of the devil. It's called death culture. He wants you to think that God is mad at you and wants you to die and just wants to kill you. And so you give up. But in many cases, we're never following God. Listen, he loves you. He came and died for you. He's given you life. He brought you up from the dead. He's given you life so that you can follow him. And you need to have a relationship with him and not be caught someplace with other people where there's no water, there's no spirit, there's no faith, and then blaming God. So here's the good news. Jehoshaphat, see the contrast, verse 11? But Jehoshaphat said, wait a minute, there's some wisdom in the place. Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? See, Jehoshaphat's not believing the lie of Joram that we're all going to die. And he says, let's ask for the word of God. The prophet brings the word of God. Let's see what the Lord would say. He kind of takes over leadership here since Joram is given up. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. That's kind of like saying that he served Elijah. He was discipled by Elijah. He was raised up by Elijah. He poured water on his hands. Notice that, that we all need to be discipled. We should all be serving, and, and, and we build a reputation through what we do. When we pour water, again, it's the Holy Spirit. The water speaks of on the hands. He was there with Elijah. Now Elisha has taken over Elijah's seat, and we're going to see his ministry authenticated here. Verse 12, And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. Notice that Jehoshaphat, even though he's yoking himself with an apostate people, he still has the wisdom of God. He still has the favor of God. And he knew that Elisha was a prophet of God who would bring the word of God. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom they went down to inquire of Elisha. Verse 13. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel. Watch this. This is, gets really good. What have I have to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Now listen to me. This king has got ten and a half tribes. He's got thousands of army. He's still a very powerful man. But Elisha looked at him and said, What have I to do with you? What does the prophet of God, the true prophet of God, have to do with any false religion or being afraid of false religion or being afraid of anything? Listen, look at the, look at the, uh, 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 the, the Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion, a lion, because um, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he didn't cower back, but the king could have killed him for saying such stuff. And he told him to go get his wisdom. Go get, go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Well, who's that again? It's Ahab and Jezebel. It's the, it's the, it's the, the prophets of Asherah and Baal. The ones that, that were 800 and some of them were killed in 1 Kings 18 by Elijah. Actually by God. But Elijah obeyed God and went and told them and then had them all put to death. So he's saying, you're a false religion. You're worshiping golden calves. 
You go and ask your own prophets. Don't ask me for any of the word of God. Why is that? See, sometimes we can cast the word of God, our pearls before swine. There's people that have no intent of listening, no intent of following God, but they'll ask you counsel, and then they go and do what they want to do anyway. And so he's pretty rude to uh, Joram because he knows that his dad and mom was uh, uh, Ahab and Jezebel. But the king of Israel answered and said, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. We're in trouble, Elisha. And we're trying to follow the Lord is what he's basically saying. The Lord called us to go do this. The Lord never told Joram to go fight Moab. He never told him to ask Judah to join him. He never told Judah to join Mo, uh, Joram because they never asked. This is the first place you find them inquiring of God, and they go to the prophet to see what the word of God might be. Look at 14. I love this. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives, God's alive, before whom I stand, that's who he stands before, that's who's his God, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Isn't that amazing? He wouldn't even look at the other king. He wouldn't even acknowledge him if it wasn't for the fact that this king had convinced Jehoshaphat to be there. And he respected Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah. And his presence was enough that he will actually give them an answer and inquire of God because of the presence. And sometimes, listen, sometimes even when you're wrong and you're yoked to the wrong people, your presence there because you're a child of God brings the favor of God on the situation. Now, that's just because God loves you. But you can be in the wrong place and still the grace of God bless and keep you from dying or going too far. So he just says, I wouldn't even look at you. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Which is really what the favor of God is, is that God would look at you with love. He would look at you with favor and grace, and his face would turn towards you. So he says in 15, but now bring me a musician. I think it's a minstrel in the, the King James Version. Um, and, and so this is just a way that some of the prophets sometimes through music or through worship would hear from God. See, because God would show up when he wanted to show up and tell the prophet what to go say to the people. But if he wanted to make inquiry, it needs to be in worship. And so he, he, he asked for a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. God's going to speak. And he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Now listen to me. Listen. They went and inquired of the word of God, and they could have ignored it. When they get the answer, they could have ignored it. If they don't do what God says, death might happen to all of them. But we're going to see that they obey God, and that's the beauty of this. So if you want to ask God for wisdom, and then he gives it to you, and you ignore it, you'll reap what you sow. But when he gives you wisdom and you follow it, there'll be a blessing that follows with it. 16, make this valley full of ditches, full of canals or dig some holes 
For thus, remember, they ain't got no water. Remember that? They ain't got no water. They need water, and they're in a dry place. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. So God's going to do a miracle. Do you see this? You're not going to hear the rain. You're not going to see the rain. But the ditches that you dig, if you will dig the holes like he said, and do the work, do the natural, he'll do the supernatural. 18. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. The Lord can bring water. He can bring his spirit. He can do what he wants to do anytime he wants to do it. It's a simple thing. It's not a complicated thing. Just obey the word of the Lord. He will also, he's going to do exceedingly abundantly more than they could ever hope for or ask. They're just asking for some water, but he's going to deliver the Moabites into your hand, Elisha tells them. And you shall attack, and he gives him instructions of what to do. And you shall attack every fortified city, every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Destroy the roots so nothing else can grow there. Listen, Moab is under a curse. We were under a curse. You want to destroy anything that will lead you back to the life of death. The music, the literature, the movies, the old mindsets, the old things that you do. You want to destroy that land. Moab represents our flesh here. You, want, you do not want anything to grow here again. When you receive the water from God, the Spirit of God, it's going to sustain you. You have to do the natural and dig the ditches, he says. But God will supernaturally bring water. And when he does, you've got to destroy everything that's there because you don't want it to be able to come back later and bite you, destroy you, deceive you. 20. Now it happened in the morning. Watch this. It happened in the morning, new day. When the grain offering was offered, that suddenly water came by way of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Just suddenly, water came by way of Edom. Now, I was, I was making notes, and I was thinking, what's going on here? Let's see if we can figure this out. They dug some holes, and water seeped up from the ground. See, that's not what happened. It wasn't a natural thing, even though God does supernatural with the natural. He brought water down, coming, come rushing down from the mountains and filled up the holes. But when was it? It was during the grain offering when it was offered. I wonder who caused that to happen. I don't think that the, that the northern tribes are actually worshiping God. But they were supposed to offer a morning and an evening sacrifice. Now the grain offering, if you're reading through the Bible with us, you would have just read through this in Leviticus. Chapter 1 is the burnt offering. Which, which every offering represents Jesus Christ. The burnt offering is a fully dedicated offering where the entire animal goes on and it burns up with fire. God's a consuming fire. And it represents Christ being on the cross and fully giving his life for us. The second offering is called the meat offering, but it's a bread offering. It's a recipe for bread. That's the grain offering. And remember in chapter 2 of Leviticus that the bread recipe 
represents Jesus being the bread of life. And it, and, and it wasn't just, it, it, it actually represents fellowship with God, thanksgivingness to God. It represents uh, uh, understanding that you have to work and do the natural. Because in order to make the bread, the recipe was that you use fine flour, fine grain. So you had to go out in the field and dig the row, plant the seed, grow the crop, wait for God to give it rain, and then you harvested it, and then you threshed the grain to make bread. But then for fine flour, you had to go thresh it again. You had to grind it again. And then you would make the bread. And the whole time you're trusting God. And this is, Jesus is the bread of life. He is that sacrifice that brings us back to God. And that's, it's about a thanksgiving offering is what they're doing. They're thanking God in the morning for the day. They're spending time with God. That's what that Thanksgiving is. And of course, this, the third offering, uh, the peace offering, which Christ becomes our peace. He gives his life for our peace is a fellowship offering. And then you had the sin offering and the trespass offering. Those are the five offerings. But here, they are thanking God for the day. They do the grain offering, which is a recipe for bread. Um, and then here comes all the water. So now they know they got provision. When you give God, when you, when you give God thanks for life, that's part of it. You know, think about it. It's, uh, Philippians four, six, and seven. Be anxious for nothing, but all things through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving is huge. Don't just ask God for things, but thank Him for what He's already done, what He's already doing, what He's already given, because this is a miracle of water coming down. Let's close this out. Close this out. Everything filled up with water. Ain't that amazing? Out of nowhere, miraculously, He gives water. You can be in a dry, arid land, and God will fill you up if you thank Him and put Him first. 21, and when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. So they're standing there ready to protect their property. Then they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. Watch this miracle. So here they're looking down. They see the water rush in because they're being thankful. But on the other side of the battle lines, as the Moabites looks back their way into the valley, they see the water as the sun hits it as red as blood. Now, someone has said, oh, the land was red there. And so uh, with the land and the water and the sun, it made it look red. Listen, this is a miracle of God. God gave them delusion to where they thought that the water was blood. And then in their delusional mind, they came to the conclusion, verse 23, and they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil. See, they came out in their delusion, in their confusion, they're in their curse and rebellion that they thought they could just go win and that they were all dead and they would just go get rich and pick up all the spoils. God allowed that delusion. God's allowing a delusion on our planet right now. 
He brought a famine for the word of God. And now he's bringing strong delusion on those who will not believe the word of God. And they think that in their death culture, they are going to get a whole lot of spoil and get rich. Listen, Psalms 2 says God laughs at them and holds them in derision. That he is allowing them to go forward with their, with their plan. But he is going to one day judge them for rejecting his word. They're still under the curse if you do not believe his word, you have that which you will be judged by. He, you will be judged by his word that we have right here. And here we have all these testimonies of those who would thank him and trust him and receive the water, receive the Holy Spirit, and be saved from, and they're obeying him. They're going to go in. Watch this. So 24... When they came to the camp of Israel, they came to the camp of those governed by God. That's what Israel means. That those governed by God rose up and attacked the Moabites that were under the curse. And they fled before them and they entered their land back into Moab, killing the Moabites. They defeat them all the way back into their land. Then they destroyed their cities, just like they were told to do by God. And each man threw a stone in every good piece of land and filled it, and stopped up the springs of water, and cut down all the good trees, but they left the stones of Kir Haraseth intact. However, the slingers surrounded and attacked it. So what they're doing is, is like, if you're growing crops, I don't know if you've ever seen farmers, they have all them rocks in there, they need to get them out of there, because it just, it interrupts their land. So they're throwing rocks on good land, they're cutting down and destroying everything, so that you can't grow any fruit there again. Listen to me. Your flesh wants to keep producing fruit. Your own strength, your own power, your own fig leaves, your own religion. And you have to kill it. You have to get rid of it. You have to put the rock of Jesus, the firm foundation of his word in the middle of that flesh and say, no, no, no. That's what my Bible study leader used to always say. He'd get up in the morning and he'd point his finger at himself in the mirror and he'd say, no, no, no. To his flesh because your flesh wants to rule and you have to say no to it and yes to the word of God and the spirit of God and the truth of God. Well, look here at the stones of let's let's close this out. The stones of Kir Hariseth. And when you look that up, it means it's their stronghold city. It's a it's a city that that is got walls. It's a fortress of earthenware is what it means. And it says the slingers just threw some stuff at it. So they were. They were throwing stuff at it, but they didn't go any any real uh, battle against it. They weren't going to destroy it. But while they're doing it, maybe they, they left it intact. Maybe they were going to end up uh, besieging it and killing them. But what happened is, look, 26. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he's losing, he's being destroyed. He took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through the king of Edom, but they could not. They couldn't escape. They couldn't get away. If you remember, that's what happened when Jehoshaphat went with Ahab, that they allowed uh, the king to get away from Syria, and he came back later and fought against them. When he couldn't escape, look what he did in verse 27. He took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. Tied him to the wall and set him on fire, and offered him to Chemosh, their, their false god. And there was great indignation against Israel, so they departed from him and returned to their own land. 
And, it, you know, the King James and the New King James both say against Israel and the indignation. But when you look up this word in the Strong's, it can mean over, it can mean above, over, or against, or it can mean among. And I believe that what this really says is when they seen the death culture there, when they seen the evil that was going on in Moab, that this king took his eldest son and, and sacrificed him on the wall, I believe that it, that it means that there was great indignation among Israel. It sickened them so much that they departed and they left the land. They seen such evil that they just left. They said, we're done. They'd already destroyed the land. They defeated them. Uh, and, you know, again, uh, they couldn't look upon such evil as sacrificing their own children. And it should appall us when we look upon abortion, when we look upon our culture and we look upon what's going on. It should appall us. But we shouldn't leave. We should pray. We should do what God has called us to do and be a witness and a light to this death culture that we live in. Make no mistake, it's always been here. The world's always been underneath the sway of the wicked one. But it's coming to light. It's out in the open. You can see it clearly. They're proud of their death culture. They want to get rid of. Listen, I don't know if you guys know. Uh, I heard this on the way home tonight. And I was like, that's sickening. I don't know if you guys know who Rush Limbaugh was. Who the president had just given the Medal of Honor. Uh, he, he really exposed a lot of things. He was a believer. His life wasn't always great as a believer. His brother is a lawyer who's a great Christian author. But the left is just, just, they're so evil, they're just talking terrible about him. Even in his death, they are just berating him and talking so terrible about him. But they write a bunch of good articles about Larry Flint. And I don't know if you guys know who Larry Flint is, but he's a, a pornographic maker, and they're kind of writing good uh, uh, eulogies about him and how much stuff he's done good. And here's Rush Limbaugh, who behind the scenes gave millions and millions and millions of dollars to, to the homeless, to help the needy, to take care of people for years and years and years. And they, they just hate him, and they're just... They're, they're, they're just they're just saying everything bad they can say about him. That's what death culture does. They promote death and they spit in the face of life. And they say no to God. And you and I as Christian people, we need to know who we're serving. And we need not to be yoked with people who are falsely following God. And they're trying to fight battles that don't even need to be fought. We need to make sure we keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is, is that people need to know Jesus. Jesus gave his life to win souls. The ministry of reconciliation of souls. And the only way to do that, it's a simple matter to God, is to allow the Holy Spirit to lead your life and to tell people that there's salvation in no other name but Jesus. And allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. Dig the ditch. Do the work. Ask God to help you and give you the words to say. And then he'll fill the valley with water. He'll do the work. Not a soul is lost except for the son of perdition. Everybody that's supposed to be saved is going to be saved. The question is, are we doing our part in the body of Christ to surrender to the work of God in our lives? Or are we still yoked up with death culture? 
Are we still yoked up and living according to the world? Or are we living according to this word? There's life here and there's death there. Which one are you eating from? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. We just pray, Lord, you'd fill us afresh and anew with your spirit. and You give us a desire to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation of souls. And we just give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you.